Welcome to another episode of Trees and Lines, which is part two of our conversation with Neil Fisher and Eric Brown, as we continue to talk about SMUD's new understanding of risk and how they have changed their approach to vegetation management. Have a listen. Hope you enjoy. So, so guys, like, obviously, like, the things that we're observing in Hawaii is, is horrific. Um, you know, there's obviously been some some published uh, articles out there in terms of what the cause may or may not have been. Um, obviously, I'd love to hear from an informed lens with the collective experience on this on this podcast, like what you guys think might have been the driving force of that uh, of that fire. Well, I think the common theme, I, I think the common theme that Neil and I will both talk about is weather conditions. Mm. Okay. Okay. I, I think that that is the common theme um, as one of the key elements to all of these events that we've already talked about. Yep. These are not bluebird day weather events. This is not your 85 degree sunny bluebird day butterflies, rainbows. Um, these are weather events of some sort occurring um, in in challenging conditions um, around high risk facilities. Neil, thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I, I, you're dead on, Eric. Uh, field conditions in combination with weather conditions. So the field conditions would be those conditions of dry fuel um, perpetuated by um, uh, long-term or medium-term drought, um, and then wind. So, for example, the North Bay fires in 2017, they're rather infamous fires that sprang up in Napa, Sonoma, and um, Mendocino counties all driven by a north wind event on uh, in October of that year. Um, the uh, the campfire was a wind event. Dixie fire uh, was not um, a wind event, but the significant days within the Dixie fire were in, for example, August 4th, I believe, 2021, you know, 106,000 acres and 14 miles in a little less than six hours was wind driven. Um uh, the Santium, the, the Labor Day fires in Oregon were wind events. Uh, the weed fire that ripped through weed in 2014 was a north wind, weed California. Um, so I, I just, those seem to be the common themes as fuel conditions that were created by some for some, um, drying event, e.e., i.e., a drought and then significant wind events. So, um, you know, that's really what what we have got to watch for and be prepared for. Both you guys mentioned, like, look, conditions, right? Like, those aren't things that are in our control. So the things that we can control is the health of the system and the mitigation of risk. But is what you're saying that even in, in with a pristine grid, right, that's been managed you know, to the best of anyone's ability, given extreme conditions, is that, like, you're still, you still carry that risk? Of course. Like, like regardless, yeah. like, yeah, of course. Like there's only so much you're going to be able to do. Yeah, I, I'll just bring this back to the conversation that I had with our senior leaders with, with our work activity. Um, I, I knew exactly how many tree conditions could strike our facilities back in 2019. Objective, highly accurate, remote sensing data, GPS, geospatial data. I can walk to every one of those trees and tell you. With six centimeter accuracy, certainty, it could strike our facilities. So, yes, you have all of that data, 
it's like it's unlikely and frankly unreasonable in many cases to expect zero risk if you have overhead assets. I, I do think that we started this conversation about weather conditions, and yes, it's out of our control. But I will say, as a utility manager supporting um, our TND operations and storm restoration emergency response work, I don't think we've advanced as best we can um, across the globe with weather forecasts and predictions and getting better pinpoint information um, to help drive, stage, support in advance changing weather conditions and patterns that are occurring that need to change operations, that need to change your activities, that need to change your executions in a proactive manner to manage for those future events that are coming. Yeah, I would add really straightforward um, comment about this is that if you look at um, the fire behavior, fire behavior is generally described or fire physics is generally described as being a triangle of fuel, heat, and oxygen. And so, so Tess, to your question, what can we manage of those three elements? Well, in the case of utilities, you can manage an ignition source, i.e. heat, by being sure that your utilities don't come apart in adverse weather conditions. Or you can, you can control that ignition source by being sure that no tree strikes the wire and causes an ignition. By virtue of removing the tree that may cause an ignition, you're also addressing the fuel element of that triangle. And this is another aspect of Eric's work that he's been doing with SMUD in conjunction with the Forest Service. And I might add, this is very, very um, novel and very, very effective, is that Eric is managing the ignition source, and he's got a commitment from the Forest Service to manage fuels near his infrastructure by, by implementing a shaded fuel break 1,000 feet total width, 500 feet from center line either side, so that... Eric is managing multiple components of that fire triangle, the ignition source and the fuel around his infrastructure. And this is really key, is that humans can really only influence one of those things. We can't control lightning, for example. We can't control someone tossing a cigarette out of their car, but we can control the fuel element of that triangle. So, Eric, you've really had great, great success with the Forest Service. What about the private property owners? Are you... How are you uh, clearing their trees? That can't be as easy. Yeah, so let me give you a little uh, a preview, kind of an overview. And, and you all have some of those images that I've sent um, in that T&D article to, to support our conversations here. Um, so that 58-mile corridor, um, and I recognize that we don't have all of this figured out. We're on the same journey every other UVM manager is across the globe. This is working for us. This is driving improvements for us, reducing our risk. Um, and, and what I would say is that 58-mile corridor has over 1,500 landowners on it, individual parcels. And yes, we started out by having a conversation with, frankly, the largest ones, industrial timber landowners, Sierra Pacific Industries, federal landowners, U.S. Forest Service, and Bureau of Land Management. Then you have all of the remaining private property owners, two acres, five acres, 500 acres, 300 acres, two acres, a half acre, which is that footprint or, or that patchwork quilt over that 58 miles. Um, again, timing is very valuable. We started this conversation 
back in 2017 with landowners during our traditional normal inspections and normal activities. In addition to that, the benefit of being on the Fire Civ Council means most of those grassroots uh, parcel owners are also participating in the Fire Safe Council in some fashion. They are hearing the message. They are understanding fuels risk. They are understanding the challenges associated with it. And frankly, in many cases, are understanding the leverage and buying power and support you can get from your utility. Most customers don't have, most landowners don't have predisposed dollars sitting there in a bank account, 500, a million dollars to do fuels reduction work on their large parcels and then keep up with it. This is not a one and done activity. You don't just mow your lawn one time and never have to mow it again for a month. It turns into a jungle quickly. It's the same thing with chaparral and fueled, uh, fuel species. So it's an ongoing commitment. And the private landowners were hearing this message regularly. And I'll, I'll be real frank. We have eight uh, individuals, landowners, who are reluctant to support the work that we need to do, but we're working with them diligently, supporting and educating them on the, the reasons why. But the remainder of those property owners welcomed us with open arms, welcomed us with open arms to do fuels reduction work, not just in our easement, but adjacent to it and outside. That includes those tree conditions that were causing incidents on all sorts of uh, across the western U.S. from outside the easement of perfectly green trees. Most of these tree conditions don't have visible defects. They're not hazards by a true definition. They're a danger tree. Danger tree is, yes, perfectly green, no defect, but could strike the asset. Tall enough to strike, could grow into. So we're managing a lot of those dangered conditions outside that easement, and it's not just trees. So my commitment is not just trees. It's ladder fuel. It's brush and fuels that are going to help propagate or move that fire in when that ignition starts, regardless of what the ignition type is. So we're supporting community safety and fire uh, risk benefits to the adjacent communities, adjacent landowners. This actual easement, frankly, during the 2014 King Fire that was started by a campfire arsonist, it um, this particular utility corridor, this transmission corridor, is actually multiple transmission lines parallel to one another, so it's exceptionally wide was an anchoring point uh, for the community of Apple Hill, which is an iconic community that is rich with agriculture. Um, and that Cal Fire and the U.S. Forest Service used this electric transmission corridor. At the time, we were fortunate to have um, areas that had been managed and maintained. And that was an anchoring point for the flank of the um, southeast side of the King Fire. Um, and ever since then, we've had regular communications with those fire agencies on continuing to do the work that we had previously done and expanded over that entire footprint. Um, at this time, we're about, well, we will have all of our work completed in that 58-mile corridor um, at the end of 2023. So um, by December 31st or sooner, um, all of that fuels reduction work will have been completed, and we will have had 
um, multiple follow-up integrated vegetation management activities on regrowth or resprouting species. That includes noxious weeds, um, brush or incompatible uh, species that are growing back in those rights of ways, uh, combinations of livestock grazing, um, cultural methods, manual methods, i.e. hand cutting, um, mastication if necessary, but really targeted and focused um, Department of Pesticide uh regulated, approved, EPA-approved herbicides with very qualified, um, experienced experts with backpack sprayers specifically targeting individual plants that we're trying to reduce or minimize in those footprints. Uh, Because it will all come back, and there's many utilities managers that can look back in the rearview mirror and say, some of the work we've done wasn't wasn't supported uh, in perpetuity, it was looked at as a one-and-done activity, and that four or five years later, you turned a forest, uh, urban uh, or, or oak woodland area, into a brush field, which is now worse than it was before you started your work. So you need commitments from your leadership, your board, uh, resources, that means funding, uh, program support in perpetuity to really transition that um, footprint, both inside and outside the easement, to that low-growing native plant community that's sustainable. It sustains itself over time, and your costs in a trend line go exponentially down, then frankly flatline into the future. That is how you manage these rights of ways, financially and operationally. Then you can use your resources to to target other challenges you have on your system. You know. Earlier on, we were talking a little bit about like who's the voice, right? Like who kind of has a pretty heavy voice in the industry. Talked about the transition organization, national, the North American Transition Organization. Neil, like, do you feel, especially with your legal background, working on rate cases, et cetera, do you believe that, like, you know, if hypothetically we could get all the PUCs right across the country into a room, right? You get them all into an auditorium. You talk about some of these things, like that Eric talked about. Look, this is not 1990. Like technology has changed, water conditions have changed. Right? I was just in holiday in Spain. They have a water shortage. Right? Like we have droughts across the country. I live in Houston. My own like vegetation is like barely surviving. Right? So the conditions you talk about, you know, they're they look like conditions that are here to stay. This doesn't look like oh next year, maybe this or that. Like, I feel like we're in this new sort of paradigm. The PUCs who tend to sort of control the purse strings, right? They're the people that you're presenting to. Is that something that eventually will be possible to get critical stakeholders like that, you know, you know, to have a, a centralized theme so that we see a little bit more standardization across the industry? Or is that massively wishful thinking? Well, you must be good at herding cats, but um, I um, <laughs> not actually, but yeah. I, I, you know, you know, I reflected a little bit on on this question you raised earlier about what is who is the leading entity and who what is really leading this, and I, I almost interjected that I think it's wildfire itself that is the leading entity that's driving an awful lot of these things. I mean, um, and what I mean by this is that if if you go out and uh, if you go to the senior leadership at the Forest Service or at B, um, uh, Bureau of Land Management, for example, you're going to find right away that you have 
common understanding about what each of you doesn't want, and that is fire, catastrophic wildfire. And so that really is a huge opportunity, huge opportunity for utilities to solicit the support of federal landowners. And I might add, in Smud's case, the majority of the land that we're currently working on, I think it's nearly, what, half the right-of-way, maybe a third of the right-of-way, Eric, is federal land. And so this is just a tremendous opportunity because you have a moment in time where everyone sees eye to eye on a really serious issue, catastrophic wildfire. And and to your point, Tej, can we can we get everybody in the room in a in a certain place and time and have everyone there and come to that same understanding that our one thing we should be really managing, particularly in the West, my humble opinion, is is wildfire. Can we get on the same page about how to approach it? You can certainly ask, um, but I think we're all old enough. Uh, certainly, I am to know that. Um, you know, uh, political entities are frequently driven by forces that you don't see or may not know about. Yeah, and so course. it may be very, very difficult to to do that. But I do, I do, I do want to point out the really just ripe opportunity out there, and that is a common understanding what everyone opposes. And that's catastrophic sure. fire. For sure. The reason I, I bring it up is because um, what I have seen and what I continue to see is the fragmentation of stakeholders and and the decision making right so the utility is a critical stakeholder the puc is a critical stakeholder vegetation management group is a uh, critical stakeholder the technology groups inside the utilities are critical stakeholders but sometimes like eric has done seemingly a fantastic job of bringing these connecting points together to get the money to talk to the operational risk to talk to the you know etc etc um but it just doesn't seem like the the, the conversation, like even in the same organization, the left hand is talking to the right hand, and then you extrapolate that to policymakers, et cetera. And so um, the momentum well, is just slow. Also, so I'm trying to figure out what. You also have to recognize who are your regulators, who, who actually is the regulator for the utility. And, and in California's case, the regulator is a combination of, of the CPC and CAL FIRE. Cal Fire has a tremendous amount of regulatory authority over utilities. It also has law enforcement authority over fires ignited by utilities. And so, I mean, you you have to recognize who are the regulatory entities that you should be um, engaged with. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely something we can continue to penetrate into, but it's, uh, it was just, it's, it's fascinating to me because, you know, like you said, wildfire is really the center of the conversation, but still a long way to go. And um, a shame, shameless plug here, um, uh, I, and on behalf of uh, JH Land, will be presenting at the Trees and Utilities Conference in September yeah, in we'll Pittsburgh on this very issue. Um, so, you know, nope. folks are welcome to join us there. We we love shameless plugs, yeah. and we'll be there, and uh, we, we'll be looking forward to hearing that. So. Um, did you see me, this product placement, Tej? I keep oh, drinking out of this. I, I did see that. <laughs> Nice. I was going to wear my ball cap. I noticed uh, Eric's got his smudge shirt on, yeah. so I was going to have my JHLC <laughs> ball cap. But anyhow, like that, no, we're uh, shamelessly plugging, yes. You know, I feel like there's a lot more to even address and talk about. Like, I could talk to both of you for hours on end. Maybe this is a good stopping point. And uh, Eric's Eric's going to end up turning into a, a regular, and I'm just going to replace myself with Eric anyways. 
we both are bald, bald and so we can just kind of um but no this is a great conversation um neil loved having you on uh, and would love to kind of continue to tackle other topics uh this is a great forum to, to explore those discussions so thanks again to both of you for for joining today this is awesome this is good thank you yeah thanks guys yeah absolutely yeah appreciate really it. appreciate the opportunity to share a little bit more about our program talk a little bit more about the industry challenges that we're all facing um, but I do think that there's much more to discuss regarding the topic that we just ended on, um, Tej, um, because I, I think it really is a combination of things that we need to be looking at. But it's it's also, I think we're at a point where we need a trajectory change. We need some bold, forward-thinking, yep. innovative utilities moving the needle. Yeah, That needs to occur yeah. um, on a regular basis, and it needs to then be leveraged. Uh, beyond that, that there there's a lot to that. Um, I think it in- includes regulators, as you point out. Um, yeah. But I, I think we need some bold changes in the utility VM industry. And frankly, I, I think in many cases, we need to take and look at a different trajectory as it relates to the makeup of regulatory bodies, utility organizations, and I mean specifically UVM programs. And this is a bold statement that we need to make sure that there are technical experts at the table supporting those teams, not just from a distance, not from two arms lengths away, physically on their decision-making level at every one of those organizations. I I appreciate and value engineers. I appreciate and value attorneys um, and all of the other disciplines that go into managing a utility, but... I'll just be frank about it. None of you are going to hire an attorney to put a roof over your family's head. That's so right. why are why are we continuing to hire attorneys to manage UVM programs or another discipline without any background or knowledge regarding that? Yes, they need they play a role. Yes, they're great collaborator collaborators and great partners in making sure that that the operations and regulatory uh, challenges are being met. But you also need technical expertise associated with that, again, at decision-making levels. Um, Otherwise, we're missing the boat. No, I I couldn't. I I don't actually. I feel like it's not a bold statement. I think it's a very on-point statement. Um, And obviously... Neil being an attorney, and I'm not going to call myself an engineer. I just happen to have an engineering degree. So um, I like that Eric just was like ping, ping. <laughs> so no, no I think, I think, no, I think you're right. Truly, truly no offense. And I, I, I think, tried I to think be right. as gentle no, I as I could, but I also need to be as pointed as I can because that's being repeated over and over and over across the globe. You know, Eric, that's how this industry emerged out of the 70s, where everything was run by district line people. And they finally got convinced that they needed to start hiring professionals. And then somehow we started transitioning back. Um, They all need to be at the table. Yeah, no, I agreed. You got to have the right people uh, kind of leading the discussion and at least in the room. Um, But, you know. Kind of leads to the segue for the for the next topic, Eric, and I'm volunteering you to do this again. But you know, we can talk about the successes that we've had in the conduct of this work. Who conducted the work for us? 
um, what results we saw on the field, both in terms of um, ecological results and then in terms of watershed benefits and the like, and then in terms of performance results on the system itself. So you cover that ecological forestry arborist stuff all the way to the engineering side of things and get that spectrum of positivity that comes out of the results of this work. And I also might suggest, too, that we address the uh, positives that have come out with in terms of forging relationships with the federal agencies at very high levels, I might add, yeah. and building the trust necessary for utilities to continue working with those federal level, uh, federal entities at those high levels that then comes all the way down to the, the field level. And then the last thing I would, I would think is, you know, we could have an opportunity uh, discussion about opportunities going forward. I, I actually. Um, so th- this is this yeah. is kind of probably the the at the forefront of the conversation, but there's numerous aspects. You know, the implementation of the work, which Eric can go into great detail yeah. with the the collection of the data, the management of the data, execution of transition trans transitioning that data into operational uh, excellence on the ground. Who conducted the operations on the ground, and then what the results were. Those those are miles worth of information and probably hours worth of discussion. Yeah. Good. Let's cue something up um, with this group again. I'd love to have multiple sort of discussions where we can layer out a series on, uh, you know, one totally dedicated to critical stakeholders and, and that conversation and then everything else, Neil, that you just said. This this is great. This is exactly what we want to do on this on this podcast. So. Yeah, I'd like to be talking a little bit about how this is going to benefit us from an insurance perspective and our mm. insurance premiums. Yeah, so, that's all. That's that a whole is that has been frankly a leap of faith for me, but I'm starting to get exceptional feedback from Lloyd's of London insurers in Bermuda and other organizations that are seeing what we're doing, um, and I'm actually going to have the data. So at the end of September, we'll have a full picture of 2019 pre-work to 2023 post-work completion. Um, all of that work associated and how much that risk has actually objectively been reduced. So I'm going to be able to tell you how many trees could strike the line in 2019 and how many can strike the line now in 2023. And it is going to be mind-blowing, frankly. And I expect over 90% risk reduction. Yeah, well, it's great. It's Very great, good, though. guys. There's a really good opportunity to share. No, I well, love that. We got to, like you say, schedule the next one. Yeah, we got to get the next one going. But gentlemen, today, thank you very thank much. You. This was, uh, again, a fantastic conversation. Um, and we'll continue to build on it. That's it for this episode of Trees and Lines, brought to you by Iapetus Holdings. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. If you have any questions or comments on any of our episodes or ideas for topics or guests, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us at treesandlines at iapetusllc.com. We'll chat with you soon.